When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. I am an entrepreneur at heart. I am a business owner here in the Chicagoland area. I own one of seven Transworld Business Advisors offices here locally. Transworld Business Advisors is a business brokerage. We are the largest business brokerage in the world. We are also the fastest growing. Uh, essentially, we do three things. Number one, we assist business owners confidentially sell and match them with qualified buyers. We also do the reverse. So if you're a buyer and you want to buy a business, we can help you out as well. The other thing we do is franchise sales for executives in transition who may be looking for a start in the entrepreneurial world and looking for a uh, a system that's already in place to build upon. And last but not least, we do franchise development. For those of you who are business owners looking to expand via the franchise model, uh, we've only done about 1,500 of them in the past 40 years. So we've got a team that can assist you with everything from initial marketing, documentation, entertaining possible franchisee owners, and aftermarket support. So with that, I'm delighted to feature another one of my guests that is going to talk about something that uh, we haven't had on here for, I think, at all. And that's going to be sales and marketing from an interim basis. So I'm delighted to have Henning Schwinnum, who is a part of Vendux. Am I saying that correctly? Absolutely, Steve. Now, before we talk or have you talk a little bit about yourself, I am very fascinated by your LinkedIn profile headline, and you characterize yourself as a chief evangelist for interim and fractional sales leadership. And I have a finance and accounting background, and there are plenty of those type of specialties, interim CFOs out there. You may be the first one I'm talking to about an interim sales marketing executive. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, tell me about Vendux and uh, what that organization is all about and how you help your clients. Well, I started Vendux about two years ago with a co-founder and friend of mine. And the trigger for the business was the fact that I spent the last 25 years of my career leading sales teams in different companies, different products, different team sizes. And when I left my last corporate role, I wanted to go to work as a fractional sales lead. I didn't want to go and run a team for for another 10 or 20 years anymore. I wanted to go in, fix, build, and then leave and take on the next project. And I realized two things. The first one was I wasn't well connected enough to find those assignments. 
And then I looked for a matchmaker, an agency who could help me find those roles, and I couldn't find one, not one that was focused on the fractional or interim sales leadership role. And that, to me, spelled a business opportunity, an unmet need that I felt that I'm sure others were feeling as well. And that led to the uh, foundation of Vendux. And Vendux now is that matchmaker. We have a roster, a bench of pre-vetted executives, and we match them into business opportunities where companies experience a void in their sales leadership, either a capacity or a capability void. That's interesting because, as I said, I'm very familiar with that business model for the CFO role. There are many uh, fractional and uh, part-time CFOs who are coming in and giving one, two, maybe three days a week to help smaller companies get the the CFO role done without having someone on board. And I think your finding this need and helping business owners who don't have that full-time person is going to be fascinating to talk about. But we have to go down memory lane, which is what I do with this podcast. We've got to rewind the videotape back to when you were a little boy. All right. And you got to think hard because it's going to be you on a tricycle kind of pedaling around the neighborhood. What was going through your mind back then? What were you thinking about becoming like for me, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. That never happened. But how about you? What were you thinking about early on in your career? How did that develop? How did your family, how did your parents influence where you are today? Those are great questions. You know, a couple of things down memory lane. The one thing that I always wanted to become was a captain on a seafaring vessel, like a freighter or an oil tanker or any one of those big ships. That was uh, my dream of what I wanted to become. And it was in part fueled by my father, who is and was a sailor and uh, had a passion for the ocean. And we always went on vacation to the ocean and we always had our sailing boat with us. And so from very early days on, I was sailing and that led to me wanting to become a seagoing captain. A few years down the road, my parents allowed me or supported me in undertaking a uh, life-changing journey. I grew up in Germany, and uh, when I was 16, I wanted to go abroad for a year and uh, spend a year in North Carolina, Uh, lived with a host family, went to high school, And that was a life-changing experience for me. And ultimately, it's what brought me to the U.S. Because without the language skills and without the openness this exchange created, I would not be here and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So you realize, of course, there's no sea in Kansas City, right? So you're not going to be a sea captain. We know that. But back again, when you were in your formative years, you're in sales and marketing right now. And you've got a niche, I think, that no one else has got or very few have. So how did you get into sales and marketing? Was that something you were thinking about besides becoming a sea captain? Or were you like an accounting and finance and you transferred to market? How did that all develop? Your high school, your college, how did that all come about? Well, no, I never wanted to go into sales. That was never part of my life plan. My father was a PhD chemist and my mother an elementary school teacher. So there was nothing in that DNA that led me down the sales path. And my first 10 years or so of my career, I spent 
in a chemical company focused on supply chain, running warehouses and packaging operations and doing production planning for a chemical company. And then at some point, someone thought that I would be good in sales and I needed that experience. And they put me into a sales management role and I started enjoying it. And I started liking the interaction with people and helping clients achieve their goals. And that really laid the foundation. And once I sort of smelt the excitement of being in sales, I never turned back. I never wanted another role and stayed in it. And now sales and matching the right kind of sales leader into a company has become a profession for me. What were some of the experiences that you went through as you went from uh, supply chain to sales? Now, I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine someone found a little bit inside of you that made sense that sales would work. I can't imagine they just said, hey, start on your own, figure it out all by yourself. You must have had someone along the way guiding you. And what were some of the experiences that you went through that kind of shaped your sales and marketing expertise as it is today? I would point to the first time that I left a corporate role and went into the startup world. Uh, Back in 2002, I uh, left Bayer, at that point, 160,000 people, global chemical company, and became employee number eight or nine in a small startup in Overland Park, Kansas. And the formative shaping part of that was the fact that we, you know, I sat down with the founder and business owner, and we built a business plan for how quickly we wanted to enter the European market and take his solution developed in the US over into Europe. And we gave ourselves a three months window, which we thought was you know, enough time to visit clients, sign up the first clients. And at the end of the day, it took us 18 months to win the first client. And it was a long, dark period with a lot of work, but the rewards and the what we were able to harvest after winning the first, second, third, fifth, 10th, 100th client was amazing. And the lesson learned for me and the lesson that I ever since pass on to salespeople that work with me are, is the idea of tenacity and staying committed to a goal and knowing that your business and your business idea will eventually come through and that all our planning is always way too optimistic. It is, we always think that from our internal perspective, what we do or what we sell is a no-brainer and everyone needs it and everyone has to embrace it. And so, you know, you have to have a lot of longevity and a lot of tenacity in order to be successful in a startup environment. Yeah. And I think what you're also talking about, Henning, is that uh, persistence and determination is key. In my first published book, there is a, uh, a stat in there, not by me, but from an outside source that said more often than not, sales are not done until there is an eighth contact. That means you have to reach out numerous times. And for you and I who have, you know, we're entrepreneurs, so sales are a, a good part of what we do. I mean, accepting the first no is not the end of the world. It's just, hey, you got to do it again. And I think that's what you're saying. Is that correct? 
That is correct. And every situation is a little different. In, in the case that I'm describing, we were entering a very conservative industry. The chemical industry is not highly innovative, especially when it comes to processes. They're, they're really good about product innovation, but on everything else, they're very conservative. And so we were bringing an internet-based sales and lead generation model back in 2002 to a very conservative industry. And you know, while at that point, other industries had already embraced this and were uh, you know, pacing along, the, the chemical industry was very conservative. We were also a new kid on the block where nobody had ever heard of us. And you know, we were a US-based company and Europeans tend to be a little suspicious of those to begin with. So all of these things were just factors that uh, were against us. And at the same time, it didn't take away from the value of the model and the service. It just meant that it took a whole lot longer to do the conversion and to do the convincing. And back to the quote on, that you gave on my LinkedIn profile, back in the day, I felt like an evangelist for 18 months, you know, not having a single sale, but evangelizing something that I knew would eventually break through and would become the standard of what, how the chemical industry goes to market today. Absolutely. So you've been doing Vendux for two years now, correct? Two years. Two years. I assume you have some clients and I would imagine that initially you brought a couple on board. How do you market yourself to your potential client. So first of all, what would be your ideal client? How do you reach out to them? I'm sure you, like many other business owners, once you get established, the referrals start coming in. But tell us a little bit about how you started to reach out and get clients. Now, two years in the venture, I look back sort of at three distinct phases. The first six months were spent on building the initial roster or bench of executives, building a brand, putting content out there. And then in February of 2020, we started making first placements. And then COVID hit. And for six months or eight months, True. there were crickets. There was nothing new happening because business owners were frozen up and were not making decisions, especially not decisions that would add expense you know, to the business. They were thinking about how to get rid of people. That was their primary focus. And so the third phase started in August, September of 2020. And that's when we were slowly beginning to make assignments again and winning clients. And so 2021 has so far developed very nicely. And we're back on our original business plan, despite the fact that there was a delay uh, of six to eight months in 2020. And our ideal client profile, since you asked about it, is a scaling business because I, I always say that I'm not targeting multinationals because they have their own idea of succession planning and how to fill gaps. I'm also not targeting the local plumber who runs two trucks and has been doing that same thing for 30 years. I'm targeting businesses that were recently started that were invested into and now have to deliver the proverbial hockey stick in growth. And 
I place people anytime between pre-revenue to six, seven salespeople, which is $10, $15 million in revenue. That's my window. That's my ideal client profile. And along the way, there are different phases. Obviously, in the pre-revenue stage, the a founder, a business owner is looking for a sales leader who can shape the sales process, define the playbook, the messaging, the right tools. A little further down the road, with two or three reps, there might be someone necessary to efficiently run the team and grow the team. And then later, there might be a phase where the business has hit a certain plateau, a certain revenue number, and the current skill set that got them there isn't sufficient for that next growth phase that they need to undertake. And so these are the different phases that we play sales executives into. Yeah, that's very interesting. I was going to comment before that even though the pandemic hit, around the time you were beginning to formulate, it sounds like it did not disrupt the framework establishing that you were doing then. Yeah, there was a pause between getting clients to come on board, but I don't think you slowed down in terms of getting the team in place for you to move forward, correct? No. And I have to say that post-COVID, the acceptance of the model is far greater because every business was forced into this experiment of working remotely. And one of the the signs of a fractional executive is that most of them do work remotely. They are not necessarily on site. Uh, They don't have to be on site, whether it's a fractional CFO or CMO or CIO or COO or a chief revenue officer or a VP of sales. They don't have to be on site. And especially in sales, when the sales team often isn't on site either, they all work from home. And so the acceptance post-COVID of that model is far greater in my observation than pre-COVID. Absolutely. So um, how big is your so-called team? So it's you running the shop. It's your company. You're a solopreneur, correct? Running the organization. Well, we have a co-founder and uh, we have uh, someone in marketing helping us to position ourselves. And then we use, we sort of, we eat our own poison. We engage a lot of contractors to help with uh, things like product development or before we hired someone for marketing, doing the marketing at, at, on a contract basis. Yeah, you're not uh, different from many others in your shoes. And I don't mean in your fractional sales and marketing endeavor, but being a smaller business owner, but partnering with many others in subject matter expertise that complement what you do and assist you to getting to the next level. So I think that's what you're saying there, correct? Correct. Absolutely. And again, we that's what we bring to market. That's what we bring to companies. A, a tech founder who doesn't have the sales or sales leadership experience, we complement their team with someone who does. Absolutely. And you referred to the fractional CFO earlier. Correct. And the reasons and the benefits of that role apply almost identical. Uh, in the same way to the fractional sales leader. The question is always how much strategic sales leadership resource do you need? How much strategic financial thinking do you need in a company that has 10, 20, 30, 40 employees? And that maybe has somewhere between zero and 15 million in revenue. 
You don't need that resource full-time. If you would hire a CFO full-time at that point, that CFO would also be the accountant and the chief operating officer and HR and, and maybe, uh, maybe the office manager. And on the sales side, if you hire a full-time VP of sales at that point with maybe zero or two or four sales reps, that VP spends 20% of his time leading and 80% as an individual contributor and a very expensive one. And I've been in those roles myself where I had a really small team and really what I was doing, I was selling. Right. So tell me about the process of, of entertaining a new client. So let's say you're going to uh, engage some new entity for using one of your fractional sales executives. What are the first three questions you'll ask the client to determine how best to help them out? The starting point for most of my conversations is not a business owner saying, Henning, I need a fractional sales leader two days a week for six months. Right. Virtually no conversations start like that. They all start with, Henning, I have a problem in sales. I, I hear you can help. And then I ask questions. You're absolutely right. More than three questions, though, because I want to understand what is the problem? Is it the lack of the right sales leadership? Or is it something else? Is it the lack of marketing or maybe operational support or branding? Or it could be in a lot of different areas. But often it is the fact that there isn't a real sales leadership in place because the founder or owner or the sales rep made sales manager just doesn't have the right skill set. And then I determine the criteria and shape the assignment in a conversation with the business owner. What type of sale are they undertaking? What, what's the product or service they're selling? Who are the decision makers on the other end? What's the deal size? Um, who are they targeting? All of these things shape the sales scenario. And my goal is to find someone who has done exactly this before, who has worked in this industry with a similar, same or similar products, same or similar deal sites, same or similar decision makers on the other end, because that person can step in on a fractional part-time basis and be immediately successful. So Henning, I've, got a, I've been smiling because you've hit the nail on the head that I've heard from many of my guests, including what I profess as well, is that you do a a huge component of your success is that you listen, learn, and respond as opposed to tell. And what I mean by that is that you have services, you have a team that can assist with what they may need, but that's not how you start. You listen to what they need. And you said it at the very end, you find the person that best matches your client that can better help them than someone else. It's just not a randomly selected, hey, I got this executive with downtime. You need someone. We're going to go with this. You do, and, and this is terrific, you spend a great deal of effort of learning about what the situation is and then gathering this information to determine how best to move forward. You also demonstrate a great asset, which is active listening. You're hearing what they're saying and doing your best to respond accordingly. So it's basically not Henning, I got the product, take it or leave it. It's, hey, I hear that you've got an issue. I want to hear what your concerns are. Let's see how we can help you. I think that's kind of basically what you're saying. 
the value of working with Vendogs is the fact that this goes way beyond my skill set. It's the collective skill set of currently around 250 executives. And they collectively cover virtually every industry, virtually every product, every type of sale. And so I can find that what I labeled the perfect match, the person that checks six, eight, 10 different boxes, and that has been there and done that before. And the success of an assignment, in my opinion, lies in that matching process and finding that person as opposed to something down the road where, you know, you could argue that, that they can go to a learning curve. And many executives think of themselves as being able to take on any scenario and, and lead in any type of uh, situation, any type of product, any type of industry. And while skill sets do travel and are agnostic, the key here is to find someone who has done this before, who doesn't have a learning curve because they know exactly what to do because they've been there. That's a good point because uh, you do want that experience and know-how because you'll hit the ground running a lot quicker than you would otherwise. So I think you've got a tremendous model that makes a lot of sense. Um, Thank you. You're based in Kansas City. We've talked about Kansas City because I'm about to have my first Kansas City barbecue the end of August, and I'm actually looking forward to that. But the fact that you're based in Kansas City does not mean that you are just centrally, I mean, your business is in the area. Sounds like you could be global. Is that correct? I wouldn't say global, but definitely national. I always refer to the very first placement I made, which took a sales executive based in Atlanta, Georgia, into a company in San Diego, California. And, you, you know, in this country, that's about as far as you can travel over land between two parts, uh, two points in the country. So it's, it is national location doesn't really matter. There's been only a few roles in the two years so far where location was a factor in the placement. In 95% of the cases, it is not. So how do you go about recruiting your fractional marketing off sales and marketing officers? Is that easy to do? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying in the CFO world, the chief financial officer role, the downsizing of certain organizations has created the opportunity for fractional CFOs to take on some steam, if you will. I was not aware that the same thing was taking effect in the sales and marketing arena. Is it easy for you to attract your executives at what do you do you call them executive representatives? What are they to you? Are they they are sales executives and they are part of my roster. Right. Um, How easy is it for you to attract someone who may not even have thought about doing what you do for multiple companies? Is that an easy hire for you or is that an easy connection for you? If I think of my business as a matchmaker and working on both sides of the equation, finding executives and recruiting them is actually the easier part. And in part, it's due to the fact that they self-identify on LinkedIn as being in fractional roles. I am a little weary about individuals who've not worked fractional assignments before, 
who may just have exited their W-2 employment and who may be looking for the next W-2 and look to do something in the meantime. Because being in this a fractional contractor role comes with a couple of specifics and uniquenesses. You have to be able to accept the feast or famine cycle of uh, being a contractor and being a solopreneur. Right. You have to have reserves that allow you to go through a period that's a dry spell. Yeah. Um, this isn't something where you just plug in a few weeks or a few months. And it also takes a, a skill set of its own to be able to go in and be that fractional sales leader. So I like to work with individuals who, who've done this before, who've chosen this path as their career Many of those that I work with have been in those roles for two years, five years, and even more. And they understand it, and they are very capable of jumping in and being immediately effective. Those are my favorite executives to work with. That's a very good point. Very good point. Unfortunately, uh, there's so much more I want to ask you, but we are running out of time. Is there anything that uh, we haven't covered during our question and ask, answer session that you want the world to know here. What, what does the audience need to know that we didn't cover? Well, you mentioned the the title I self-assigned to me as the chief evangelist. No, you um, did that. You did that in your LinkedIn profile. I, I did. Know it. <laughs> I did. And you mentioned it. And so I want to point out that I didn't call myself that from the beginning. I just found a few months into this venture that I was evangelizing the concept way more than selling Vendux as a service provider and as a company. And as I said before, post-COVID, that scenario has changed a little. And so uh, maybe it becomes time for me now to take that off my LinkedIn profile and uh, give somebody else the opportunity to call themselves an evangelist for something else. Because I feel okay. that very slowly fractional and interim sales leadership is entering the mainstream of uh, American business. Sure. Now, when you do change that, you're going to have to put something equally as clever because that's the way we're going to start out the next time I have you on as a guest here for building better businesses. So the last question, and this is you, where can we find uh, find out more about you? How do we go find out about Vendux? How about how do we find out about Henning? Where do we want to go to get that information? Well, if you uh, take Henning Schwinum into uh, LinkedIn, there's only one with that name, so I'm easy to find. Vendux, uh, spelled V-E-N-D-U-X, based on the Latin words for sales and for leadership. And we are vendux.org.org and everything you need to know about the business, but also about how to become a fractional sales executive and how to engage a fractional sales executive is on vendox.org. Well, that's so good to know. Henning, thanks so much for your time. Your insight was terrific. In this ever-changing world, there are so many things that are emerging. A fractional sales and marketing executive is one. I'm sure there'll be more down the road, but I appreciate your insights. I appreciate your passion and attitude about helping others do what they've got to do in an area that some of us may not be so inclined. So this was great. Thanks for your time. And listeners, thank you for joining us for another edition of Building Better Businesses. We're going to have Henning back and find out what his new clever title is going to be next time around. So uh, have a good rest of the day. 
The Building Better Business Podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.